welcome to the Bill Cartwright Show with our special guest, USF alum, basketball player, NBA basketball player, Wallace Bryant. Wallace, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? You know, what I want to talk about today is this happens to a lot of players. Just talk about um, I was just reviewing your stops that you made as an NBA player. I mean, everybody knows you from Gary. Everybody knows you went to the University of San Francisco, had a great career. But let's talk about all those stops you had. Now, is that right? You had like 15 or 16 different stops. Yeah. That's amazing. Yes, uh, we went from the Bulls to the Clippers to Orlando. Uh, I mean, the Bulls to Dallas. From Dallas to the Clippers to Orlando to Philadelphia to Italy, Spain, Argentina, Greece uh, to to uh, Argentina, and just. A lot of places, a lot of uh, locations where I got a chance to contribute to the success of uh, teams and and other players. Well, what was because that's a lot of elements to deal with. I've coaches, I've different players, I'm speaking another language. Uh, you're over, you're over Europe. You have to get yourself around. What was? Give me a couple, three things of the hardest thing to do once you switch teams and cities like that? Hardest thing to do would be to ro relocate the things that you uh, uh, accommodated, you know, or the things you bought, such as I, I ended up buying multi-system player that I could take anywhere. You know, traveling with luggage, uh, mainly not even luggage, but uh, big containers. You know, having a uh, uh, containers to carry around with your collection of uh, music, your collection of uh, videos, your collection of clothing, things of that nature. You know, I started finding that it was it's made more sense to travel and have uh, a, a sass tray, what they called it, or a, a a soup maker in the city, or or to have uh, play, you know, things that, that didn't weigh much that you could take back and forth easy. So it mainly became clothing. And then you accommodate yourselves there with uh, having them provide a stereo system, having them provide a video system. You know, by the time I started traveling to Greece and Argentina, it was a, I had a trunk that had miniature speakers. I had a collection of uh, my jazz music because I was uh, really into jazz and things of that nature. And then the clothes were minimum. Sweaters, uh, you're going to have about five suits. you got to have sweaters. you got to have things that you're going to wear to the game. But I start also accum uh, accumulating sweatsuits because those also became things that you could wear to the game and still look sharp in. So, you know, I ended up wearing, wearing a lot of sweatsuits and those of the teams that I played for. They would provide those sweatsuits. They talk about because you know the schedule is so different. I played in the NBA. Now I've never played in Europe, but you guys play twice a week, so that's got to be a different type of pressure because all those games are really important. 
Yeah, there were some places where I played three times a week. We would play Monday, we would play Saturday, Friday, Sunday, and and come back and play Monday, or play once during the week and then twice on the weekend. Especially in Italy, you played on 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 the Sundays, and then you'll play on the Wednesdays or Fridays. You know, and that was a rotating system. You could be home one day and then away the next. Um, what a what's a normal practice? I mean, I didn't play over there, but uh, people talk about how hard the practices are and how long they are. And um, I yeah, mean, you're, you're looking at different coaches. So, is uh, how different is it? You're looking at two and a half hours to three hour, three hours to three and a half hour practices. You're doing conditioning at the beginning of the season, and you're doing that two three times a day. Wow. You know, I remember playing for uh, a Barcelona, Spain. You would go in the morning, you do conditioning. You come back and you do some conditioning of weights and jumping in the afternoon, and then you go right into practice. So wow. you're doing three days all the way up to the first, pretty much the first week of the first game. And, I mean, we did long, we did nice three-hour practices. You know, what did you? What were you thinking then? Because you had already played in the NBA. Did you think that was excessive? Did you think it was normal for them? I thought it was normal for them. I found that you know, they did a lot of conditioning during the week too. We did runs, you know, hour run. Just go run for. We'd run around things for an hour, you know, just to keep our uh, aerobic up. And I felt that, that, you know, sometimes I, I thought, oh, okay, we're going to train and we'll go home and eat and relax. They supply a lot of things like you'll have a, a chef. You know, you have a – if you're in a good system, you're like they'll supply you with a maid, a chef, a, a nice flat to live in, you know. Uh, and in Greece, I had a driver. In Italy, I had a driver. I had a good flat. I had the Swiss Alps as my the backdrop of my – kitchen so I could wash dishes looking out a window into the Swiss Alps, you know, and, and at that at that younger age, of, you know, that young age of 30, 28, 29, 30, you're like really enjoying these things. They provide you with a vehicle. They provide you with drivers. Uh, there are places where you can go and sign and eat. There's places where you can have meals prepared for you by, by the people that they send to you, you know, by the people that come in, uh, clean your home or do your laundry and things of that nature. You know, in Greece, I had a lady that came every other day and cleaned up, uh, made sure the laundry was done, folded and ironed and things of that nature, and would prepare a meal. So I was like, oh, man, this is really nice. And all I had to do was practice hard, which I spent maybe about five to six hours a day practicing. I'd go do weights. I'd go do uh, uh, running bleachers and things of that nature just to stay up to par and work on my moves, you know, keep the room moves primed. And I'm blessed to be able to have uh, averaged at least 20 to 22 points a game overseas on every team that I played for while getting 10 to 12 rebounds, you know, on the average. So I was blessed to do that. Uh, in the NBA, it's a lot different. Uh, you're, you're playing, there's only two Americans on every team of European play is only two Americans or two foreigners. 
Whereas in the NBA, you're playing against a five, a strong five NBA players, centers that are just as strong, just as quick, just as talented as you are. You have the greatest and you have good players. And you run in that in a nightly basis of four to five times a week you're playing. Whereas in the overseas, you're playing twice a week, three times a week at the max. And you get a chance to go, you know, divert your attention as I, as I did in Italy when I went to uh, places like Florence. I go to Venice and spend some time. I go to Milan and spend a few hours, you know, or, or go there for a weekend and, that I wasn't playing or during the weekend enjoy the, the views and things like that. Travel to Rome by train from Bologna, Italy to Rome by train, which is a beautiful train ride views and spectacular views and good food. And then come back and just enjoy the city of Rome, enjoy the city of Bologna, enjoy the city of Florence, enjoy the city of, of Venice, enjoy the, the Tuscany areas uh, of, of Italy. And you get to, you know, see Bermeo, the Alps, and all of that. Go over to Chiasco, Lugano, which is a, is a, is a, uh, actually a Swiss, Swiss, across the Swiss border, and going to Lugano, Switzerland. Going to Chiasco, Switzerland, where they had the, the, uh, they literally had the uh, Monte, Carlo, Monte Carlo style casinos. So you get a lot to experience. You know, I used to go over to Switzerland just to get to, the uh, McDonald's and to get a USA Today, <laughs> you know, USA Today newspaper to read. So you get, you get to go over there and buy American food also because they had these American shops that carried pancakes and mix and stuff like that to keep you more Americanized. But it was a great experience. Hey, talk about, um, because it, you, you played a lot of different cities in Europe. Give me two of your favorite. I would say Spain and Italy. Italy and Spain in that in that form. Um, there's so much to see in Italy. There's so much to see in Spain. And playing in Barcelona, it was a beautiful city. You could take great walks. You could have fish, seafood. Uh, you could have some of everything. They had plays going on. They had bullfights. So you get a lot of uh, cultural experiences while traveling overseas. Italy was just amazing because of the cities that you go to were so historic. Wow. You know, going to Rome and playing an all-star game in Rome, and you have Daryl Dawkins and Sugar, uh, Sugar Ray, I think it was Sugar Ray to play for the New York uh, Nets. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you got Tony Zeno and guy, other guys that are, you've heard about and that you looked up to that, you know, you're playing, you see Bob McAdoo. You, you run into uh, Iceman, Gervin. He's playing for Manteca in, in Spain. You know, he's playing for Manteca and Manresa, Spain. And, I mean, Manresa, Spain, he's playing for TDK, was the name of the team. And I'm playing, and I got a picture of me standing beside him, and I'm playing against him. And it's, it's I keep it because it's historic. I played against a guy that I admired and watched his his posters. I had his poster on my wall in, in college. You remember I had that Iceman poster with him sitting in the, 
ice thrown in my bed. And you see that in my in my oh. in my campus <laughs> of a college campus room. So I got to play against some of the guys I looked up to, Daryl Dawkins, uh, that came over, Jim Brewer. And I literally got to play with Jim Brewer a year after he won the uh, NBA championship playing with the Lakers. So that was kind of like a, a big brother effect. I have a good player, a great player, and he's teaching me how to play as I'm competing for championship. You know, uh, Earl King that played for, uh, uh, he played for Maccabi Tel Aviv. This guy is a great player for Maccabi Tel Aviv, and he comes to my hotel looking for me, and I don't really even know him just to show me around. <laughs> you know, you had guys that mentored and led you into being a great player, being a respected player, because you had a lot to feed on, such as yourself. You know, remember the torch you handed me in college and how you taught me how to become a student athlete. You told me what was right to do, what was wrong to do. You know, that was the type of thing I kind of had most of my career until I got, say, to when I got into the Mavericks and the Magic, it was like kind of different. You're kind of on your own to teach yourself, whereas you didn't really have any teachers. You had to teach yourself. You had to step up and compete and play hard. And then things would happen that, that you didn't understand. Like you have a great camp and then still be having to wait for a contract and yeah. waiting for that contract would send you overseas because they would sign you quicker, guarantee it, and pay your taxes. So next question. So how did you know? Uh, I kind of knew I was done playing when I almost got hurt a couple of times. I didn't. So how did you know when you were going to be done? I really didn't know, Bill. I, I, I really didn't know. I found out by warning sign. My warning sign was that I had uh, a right leg, right knee, that was swell up after games and I'd ice it down and still have, I start getting, you know, these intense pain shots and I wasn't allowing anyone to shoot me with anything. I'm not into the, the needle, you know, so you're not going to shoot medicine into my leg. I was the type of guy that didn't never need, never need to take anything. I didn't take any Advil. I just tried to ice it down, but I think it was with my right knee in the 1997. My right knee just it, it really start it would it would really painfully be tender, and I had to slow down my play. I would have to rest it a bit more. And in '97, after all those years of playing, I decided I'm tired of the pain. But then I got home, and it's like the pain just disappeared. I went on playing pickup ball. I mean, I was playing pickup ball at a place called North Dallas Athletic Club and in the city of Dallas, Texas. And all the pros and semi-pros would show up there to play. So you, you go in the gym, you got 
the Randy White of the Mavericks. You got most of the Mavericks. You know, then you have people like Primetime. You know, you got Mike. Uh, you got most of these football players that were great football players. You know, that, that would come in and play. So I ended up playing, say, another four or five years after that, just until about 2002, playing pickup ball, going on trips with the uh, Dallas Mavericks, I mean, not the Dallas Mavericks, the Dallas Cowboys to play uh, what they call benefit games in places like Wyoming, you know, Colorado, and places like uh, uh, um, Southern Texas. Mexico, San Antonio, and, and play those games that were their benefit games. And you get to travel and they pay all your expenses and you enjoy. So I did that in for about another three to five years. And I ended up starting to coach in 1997 by picking up some uh, uh, AAU teams and coaching for a program called Top Achievers in Dallas, Texas. So is that something you wanted to do? I kind of went, I kind of had fun doing, it. you know, it was fun to be able to give back to the young, young children and young men that were coming up that liked the game, that enjoyed it and competed hard. I had, a, I had some pretty good high school teams that played AAU ball. Uh, one of them was team Dallas. One of them was called top achievers and we really competed and we won quite a few medallions, quite a few tournaments and enjoy the competition. And we would travel. I mean, we go to Houston, to Austin, to San Antonio. We go all we go all the way to New Orleans from, from Dallas, Texas. And you know, we drive and, and go compete by buses, vans, by SUVs. I mean, we go and compete every weekend every, during the summertime, we're at it. So that ended up bringing me into the coaching, and that's where I started learning a lot more about how to handle basketball situations, you know, game situations, how to break presses, how to run plays and, and keep the team moving. You know, and then it started just coming to me in daydreams. I'll be sitting there, all of a sudden this player just pop in my head and I start I had to write, go stop and write it down so I could re remember it. And then I start adding those things together and I, I ended up becoming a pretty good coach where guys would like to be would like to play for me. You know? And once they started liking to play for me, it made me become even more uh say aggressive or more wanting to play than anything. I mean, wanting to coach more so than anything else. I had a hunger for it. So let's talk about this. You know, um, I had a list of like five different things I wanted to do. The last thing I wanted to do was coach. And of course, that's the thing I did. Uh, what's, what's some of the things that you wanted to do once you got done playing? Well, I really wanted to travel more. I wanted to see more. You know, I wanted to see the places I hadn't seen. You know, I was uh, able to travel to Japan and to China and play some tournaments over there. So I ended up doing that, you know, even more so. 
I have a director over here on this end that's uh that made me darker though, baby. Yeah. I have to move forward more. Cause it made me darker. There we go. Yes. Uh yeah, I had a chance to go over it to China first and then afterwards to play in a, and play in tournaments in the summer in China. And I scrimmaged a couple of uh, national teams from China, and we played in these tournaments, and we ended up winning. And that kind of excited me to to be able to keep playing, you know, and keep enjoying the sport and different levels while waiting on contracts or waiting on things to do, you know, to keep to enhance my knowledge of the game. And uh, the worst experience I say I could I had would been in Colombia and. Yeah, in Colombia, you know, southern, southern uh, South America, yeah, and that was the worst experience I had. Where I didn't get a chance to really show my talents because uh, the coach didn't put me in. I said, "Why you bring me down here not to put me in the game?" So. I just said, well, you don't need me. You need somebody else because you're not putting me in the game. And, and I didn't understand that. So I just ended up like, I, I can't play for you because you don't want it. You don't really want to use me. So I said, can I go back home? That was the only time I've ever asked anybody, can I go back home? Yeah, it is. Uh, in that situation, it's a little tough. Everybody has their own thoughts. Um. You know, when I got done playing, I was I was beat up. And also I had some something that happened to me that was kind of weird that happened to the uh, other players as well. Um, I experienced a lot of anxiety. And I was actually medicated for a year because there was a sense of there was something wrong. There wasn't anything wrong other than I wasn't playing. Um did you have any anxiety after you got done playing? Yes, I did. You know, I, I felt, I think we tend to feel our self-worth. And I didn't, I, I didn't, I felt rejected at times. You know, but I, I wanted to feel wanted. I wanted to feel appreciated. And I wanted to feel respected for the time I put in. Yeah. But it, the system can make you feel, especially the professional system, it can sometimes make you feel worthless. You know, it, it becomes a harsh machine. And the harshness, you know, of it all, I showed up early to practice. I left practice late. One word can change a whole picture of you from the wrong person. A person that doesn't value you, you showing up early. A person doesn't that doesn't value your work ethic or the time you put in by staying over late. You know, practice starts at 11, and I'm there at 9.45, lifting weights, getting in some extra shots, working on extra moves. And I leave after practice, which is, I'm leaving at 2 o'clock practice ended at, say, 
and I'm leaving at two, and I go to get another, to get my meal in, get a little rest, and then come back at a different hour and work again. But it's not being recognized. That's when it becomes frustrating. Or your value, you know, they put a sum of a sum of on top of you that's not worth your true value. Imagine if we played now. We were in perfect condition and we played now. I'm not a Bill Cartwright, but I'm a good solid player. Bill Cartwright is a great player. So I do look at it like this. Bill should get, yes, his umpteen or his 25 million a year. But if Bill is getting 25 million a year and I'm his bag up center, I should at least be getting eight to 10. You see what I mean? I look at it like that. You look at the league and you see certain players. My frustration, Concat, played for SMU, went and played for the Hawks. No way she could get a better contract than Dominique Williams. Well, then Dominique died, Wilkins. No better contract should he, should he get than I got because we're the same type of player, only. So yeah. it frustrates that, that they also – now, we have a better program than we have when I was in, in the pros. They're better programs. They're better trainers in the league. There's more help for the – the NBA player now than it was when we were first started. A lot more. It's a lot different, you know. Think about it. Even our college days are different. What we had for weight equipment compared to what they have now and the trainers that they have now, remember, we had really no weight equipment. Yeah, we had a universal that was almost, that was broke down. Yeah, but but this is what I'm asking, is that with all the attention that we got, high school, college, NBA, there's a point where we have to move forward. So, and also, I kind of equate that to being an astronaut. So if you're an astronaut and you land on the moon, you've already hit a height. So what do you do after that? What's after sports? What's after the thing that you've been working for your whole life? You got it. You're fortunate. You're blessed. Now what? What's next? Family. What's what's next for us? For me, um, I was able to coach for a long time, and then I ended up here back at the University of San Francisco trying to make a contribution. What are you looking to do to make a contribution the rest of your life? Well, right now I coached, I coach at Bethel Christian School in Redding, California. I've been able to give, I, I try to give back by coaching, by teaching, by sharing my life experiences and my testimonies of where I've been, what I've done, how I did it how I was chosen, because some of it wasn't just me. It was the help that was around me. It was the people that surrounded me, the people that came in and helped me. 
So I try and share that life experience with my players, with the people I run into. I share my testimonies about how I've been through life, how I had to make certain decisions, not only from help, but with also by myself without help. You know, and I, I just share my experiences. There are frustrations. There are levels that you reach where you're like, thank you for allowing me to reach this level. I don't have to turn and look back from that level. But there are memories. There are great memories. There are great paths. That there are, are bright decisions and there are bad decisions that I've made that I, I've been forgiven for, I've forgiven myself for. And I keep moving forward because smiling faces of the children that I deal with, of the young athletes that I deal with, that appreciate, truly appreciate me where I'm at now. You know, I have children and guys that come from college that have played in college that come back and thank me for that, you know, for helping them make that that jump. And let's talk about this. Where does your faith come from? Is that something that happened when you were young? Or is that something that you met somebody? But where does that come from? Well, it started back in uh, when I when God really sought me. She started see, seeking me. And I made a choice when I was with the Dallas Mavericks to give my life to the Lord. And from doing that, my faith just tends to grow. Things have happened, miracles, things you, I mean, I had to look back. Hit by a car twice before I was 11 years old. Wow, I did you not think know. I would learn how to, you think I don't learn how to stay out of the street. Stay on the road. <laughs> yes. You know, imagine that. Before I was at the age of 11, I had been hit by a car twice. That My life was spared. You know, and I have this cut over my eye, which is 26 stitches, 13 on the inside and 13 on the outside from that one of the the, the car incidents. You know, uh, it threw me up in the air. I came down on another bumper. I was on 79th Street in Chicago, you know, at nine years old and got hit by a car. After the UP, uh, not the, yeah, the UPS driver said, you can go. As soon as I got down the street, the Cadillac hit me and it lifted me off the ground, hit hit a car bumper on the way down and hit, cut my head. And then I was blessed to be in front of a barbershop. The guys came out of the barbershop, pulled me out of the street, put the towels on me, and then ambulance came, took me, sewed me up, and hey, thankful, thankful, and, and, and learned a lesson, you know? But just life, there's a lot of good things that have happened in my life that kept my faith strong. Uh, you know, my mother and my grandmother and my father and my coach always prayed for me. You know, so I have a, a praying family. My wife prays for me now. You know, she prayed the prayer. The continual going and 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 putting myself in the Word of the Lord has blessed me to keep a strong faith and hope in all things. And I'm thankful for it. You know, we all go through things in our lives as you you and I have both experienced, uh, you know, blood clots out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, here you go, blood clot out of nowhere. And in that, 
you know, I, I end up passing out and that's all in the Lord's hand. I'm here because he is in my steps. He arranged my steps. He did not want me to be gone as of yet. He wants me to continue to contribute to the growth of youth in both life and in sports, you know, while sharing my experiences of life. Um, let's talk about your family a little bit. Um, what's everybody up to? Well, my brothers, uh, I have uh, brothers that are in uh, executives at Verizon and AT&T. I have uh, a brother that lives in uh, Florida, a brother that lives in Arkansas, and a, a brother that lives in Dallas. And they're enjoying life. They're doing well. Uh, their health is well. Um, they're experiencing joy. One of my brothers just got remarried uh, for the second time he's been married. And he's enjoying life with his new bride, who is is a very kind person. I'm married. My wife is a blessing to me, uh, a thrill, a joy. She covers all aspects of uh my prayer and prayer beliefs, we share in everything, no complications at all, enjoying the, that part of family. I have sons. I have uh, four sons, one from my wife and then three from uh, another wife, and they're all doing well. They Two of them work in insurance. One works as a manager. Uh, at a at a clothing store, so they're all doing quite well. They have, we have nineteen grandchildren. Wow. Yes, they all have. They have children. They they they. We have multiplied into a, a, a generation. I uh, you know, second and third generation. Uh, we're enjoying uh, the grandchildren. We go and visit them on occasions. You know, especially those that live here in California. We see them almost every other week. Those that don't, um, they live in Texas. I spend time FaceTiming and Facebooking and seeing them through Facebook and FaceTime. But yeah, enjoying the family. You know, the family has been been really uh, a basis of uh, enjoyment since uh, you're not in in the basketball as much. You know, when I left the area of uh, of the Bay, I kind of I can't come to USF games as much as I was but I'm still enjoying them from a distance and uh, from podcasts and from uh, streaming and from television. But yeah, family has been important. Why? Well, and you've got a big one. Yes. Well, Wallace, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, you've had quite the adventure. And yes. Uh, and and it continues. So yes, it does. I am really enjoying. Thankful we, to be here. We just wanted. We just need to get you back to a game because so you can go check it out. Uh, our team's not bad this year. Uh, we're seven and uh, three right now. We can really shoot the basketball. Uh, but of course, just like you, I'm dying for some post up. So I'm still looking for that. So yeah. hopefully that mastery is not not there. I mean. We're the last of the, the the big centers to play down in the post. Dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I love it. I'm glad I was able to experience that. You know, that's 
something that will stay with me for a lifetime and yes. generations to come. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And uh, uh, get yourself down here. I definitely will. Thank you, Bill. God bless. <laughs>